Good morning. Let's begin by hearing the familiar words of Jesus to his closest followers as he gathered with them for the last time before his arrest and crucifixion from John chapter 13, starting with 30, verse 34. It's part of Jesus' final instructions on how his disciples were to carry out their mission of spreading the good news of Christ's love and grace. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Amen. One of the groups I follow on Twitter posted a quotation this week that really slapped me in the face. I have, I've been thinking about it all week. It's a quote from one of my favorite Christian writers, A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor and Christian leader back in the 1950s and 60s. His book, The Pursuit of God, is one of my top ten all-time favorite Christian books. Tozer wrote during the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, a time when the threat of nuclear war kind of hung over the landscape like a dark cloud. People were afraid and anxious about the possibility of imminent nuclear war. I can remember in elementary school having to do these disaster drills where we'd crouch under our desk or go kneel by our locker in the hallway as though that was somehow going to save you from a nuclear blast. I don't know what they were thinking. Lots of mediocre horror movies were made at that time with the premise that radioactive fallout from a nuclear war would turn people into mutants and release all kinds of Godzilla-like monsters. The fear was very real. And in the midst of that anxious environment, A.W. Tozer said this, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. When I first read those words, I thought, wow, that just hits the nail right on the head especially during a week like this one where fear seemed to hover over every newscast and media outlet. On Wednesday, fear over Ebola-infected people flying on airplanes uh, drove a huge dip in the stock market. And that fear created other fears, and markets around the world took a hit. There's always a cascade effect with fear. Uh, One fear generates another, sort of like balls on a billiard table, you know, knocking into each other. And in our current anxious atmosphere, Tozer's words apply to us. A scared world needs a fearless church. I searched and found the original context for Tozer's quotation, and I want to read some of it to you. Remember, he's talking about the 1950s, but this could have just have easily been written this week for Christians in the face of what's going on in our world today. He writes this. No one can blame people for being afraid. The world is in a baptism of fire since time began. There's no escaping it, but are not we Christians a people of another order? Do we not claim a place in the purpose of God altogether above the uncertainties of time and chance in which the sons of this world are caught? Surely Bible-reading Christians should be the last persons on earth to give in to hysteria. They are redeemed from their past offenses, kept in their present circumstances by the power of an almighty God. And their future is safe in his hands. God has promised to support them in the flood, protect them in the fire, feed them in the famine, and shield them against their enemies. Hide them in his safe chambers. If we are called to suffer, we may be perfectly sure that we will be rewarded for every pain and blessed for every tear. Underneath will be the everlasting arms, and within will be the deep assurance that all is well with our souls." Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature. This is a big world filled with the habitations of darkness, but nowhere in its vast expanse is there one thing of which a real Christian 
need be afraid. Surely a fear-ridden Christian has never examined his or her defenses. A fear-stricken church cannot help a scared world. We who are in the secret place of safety must begin to talk and act like it. We above all who dwell on the earth should be calm and hopeful, buoyant and cheerful. We will never convince the scared world that there is peace at the cross if we continue to exhibit the same fears as those who make no profession of Christianity. Let me say that again. We will never convince the scared world that there is peace at the cross if we continue to exhibit the same fears as those who make no profession of Christianity. A scared world needs a fearless church, a fearless church full of fearless people. Fearless not because we're invincible or immune to the craziness of the world around us, but fearless because we're in close touch, close proximity with a loving God who surrounds us with grace, who empowers us, who gives us real hope and peace. A fearless church made up of ordinary people who have, have linked arms together and who are living out the good news of Jesus in ways that make a real difference. That sounds good to me, a fearless church, but how does it happen? How do we develop that kind of assurance? How do we live with that kind of calm presence? How do we create a fearless church? Well, one of the ways we can begin to do that is by looking at, at the three important connections. How we connect with God, how we connect with other Christians, and how we connect with the people in the world around us. It's sort of like a three-legged stool. Healthy followers of Jesus need to keep all three of those important connections in balance. How we connect with God, how we connect with other Christians, and how we connect to the people in the world around us. We get off balance if we don't have all three of those important connections in play. Take the Christian who only focuses in on you know, his or her own relationship with God. I mean, developing a deep, personal relationship with God, that, that's absolutely essential, right? I mean, we talk about that all the time. So how could focusing solely on deepening your relationship with God ever become a problem? Well, what happens is that when a person focuses on that one connection alone, that kind of faith very quickly becomes ingrown and self-centered. If a person focuses only on his or her own relationship with God, well, that faith gets isolated and cut off from the real world. It, it starts to go sour. If someone thinks the whole point of their Christian faith is just themselves, you know, that it's just me and Jesus, and forget about the rest of the world, well, that means they don't know Jesus very well. It means they haven't really understood what Jesus actually taught or grasped, you know, what Jesus actually expects from those who follow him. You don't have to read very far into the Gospels to see that Jesus was always trying to get his inner circle of followers to be an outward-facing circle. As they gathered around them, Jesus didn't keep the focus on himself. Yes, that personal relationship was important. Jesus cherishes that. But in this broken and hurting world, in this scared world, worshiping Christ is intended by Christ to propel us back out into a hurting world. In response to the question about what was the most important commandment, what was really mattered most, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Luke 10, 27. Love God absolutely, wholeheartedly. But don't forget the second half. Love your neighbor as yourself. An outward-facing circle. Otherwise, faith 
is just another form of narcissism. And we are to go to that world not as lone rangers, but linked up with other believers. In one of his post-resurrection appearances to the disciples, Jesus said it this way. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now there's a tendency when we read this verse in English to read it as though Jesus is talking to us as individuals. I am sending you, you know, one person. But in the original Greek, it's the plural you. He's sending them together as a group. He's sending them as the body of Christ, as the community of believers, as the company of the committed, as the church. The Christian faith was never a solo thing. It's always a tribe. A tribe that's united not because of ethnicity or geography or genetics, but people united because they have a common savior. Jesus is the glue that binds believers together and this tribal bond is so strong that you can travel the world and meet a Christian in some far off land and instantly you know you are bonded together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us have had that experience on a mission trip. You, you can be from different countries, speak different languages, wear different clothes, have different customs, and yet instantly you know that you have the most important thing in common, that Christ is at the center of your heart. Community matters. But what happens if a person's focus is only on the community, only on the church. The church separate from a connection with God or separate from a connection with the world around them. Well, then the church becomes a social club, a place to gather with friends you already know. Sure, there are some ceremonies you have to sit through and some speeches you, you know, have to listen to, but it's a place that makes you feel comfortable, a place where you feel at home uh, that serves your needs, when detached from a vibrant connection to Christ and an equally vibrant commitment to the world, the church just becomes a religious clique, a, a holy huddle that from the outside looks very unfriendly, looks closed and unwelcoming. It may gather in a beautiful building, but if there's no deep connection to God, to the God of Scripture and a deep engagement with the world outside, then, then that's really, that's all it is, a beautiful historic building. Without those other two connections, in reality, it's no longer a church. The sign out front might say it's a church, but it's not true. Without the connection to Christ and to his work in the world, a church loses its true purpose and loses its great power. True Christian community matters. Two years ago, we were getting ready to launch our daughter campus, New Community Church. This is their second birthday today. We struggled for a long time on what to call it. Since it wasn't going to be in New Providence, it didn't seem right to have New Providence in the name. That would just confuse people. So we, we looked at literally hundreds of names of churches, from wild and wacky names to overused and very generic names. Nothing really felt right. So we went back to our PCNP mission statement. Our mission, as I'm sure you all know by heart, is to create a community of committed Christ followers who are inwardly strong and outwardly focused. A community of committed Christ followers. That's what we're all about. That's what we wanna create. That's our purpose, inwardly strong, connected to Christ, but outwardly focused, facing out toward the scared world. The church, the community of believers is to be that link between Christ and the hurting world. And so our new campus became New Community Church. This idea of believers joining together as one body is so important. It's the way God designed us to operate best. We grow best in community with other believers. 
We are more effective when we are linked together for Christ. We are happier, we are stronger when we share a common life with others who know and serve Jesus Christ. In fact, British theologian John Stott said it this way, the very purpose of Christ's self-giving on the cross was not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate their loneliness, but to create a new community whose members would belong to him, love one another, and eagerly serve the world. And from the day of Pentecost onwards, it has been clear that the conversion to Christ means also conversion to the community of Christ as people turn from themselves to him and from this corrupt generation to an alternative society which he is gathering around himself. These two transfers of personal allegiance to Christ and commitment to the body of Christ cannot be separated. The church is an alternative society. Christian community matters. This is the message that we see throughout the New Testament from the very beginning of the, ch of the church in Acts chapter 2. Believers were so bonded together that they took care of each other. They cared for each other financially. They shared their food. They opened their homes. They demonstrated a new kind of love that the world had just never seen before. A quality of love that made the rest of the world sit up and take notice. If we want the world to sit up and take notice today, it will be because of the quality of life that Christians share together in their church community. Your relationship with Christ will only be as healthy as your commitment to the body of Christ and your relationship with a healthy Christian community. Centered on Christ, but connected to each other in Christ. That is not just some trendy new movement. When we get Christian community right, it means we're reconnecting with the, ch the church of today with the power of the original one. I believe very deeply that all of Jesus' people have within them the potential for, for world transformation. Every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside, but something special happens when believers form the bonds of Christian community and do life together as his body. The problem for so many churches today, including ours, is, that, is not that we don't have the potential, but rather that we have forgotten how to access the power of Christ's body. We've been so deeply scripted to think of the church as a building, as an institution, as a domesticated part of culture. We've lost the sense of original Christian community that was the very heartbeat of the early followers of Christ. But what excites me is that the landscape is shifting. We now come to the point where we can recognize the decline of Christianity in the West and in America. It's directly related to how we have done church up until this point. And we are entering an exciting time when churches are going to need, need to search for, for new ways of creating community. Because the old ways, they're not working. Like C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. Christ is on the move in his church. And it's time to get unplugged from kind of the old way people were used to thinking about church as just that building with a cross on top. No, the church is people connected to each other, people who desire to live life together as Jesus designed us to live. The church that Jesus created is made for impact. Wasn't it Jesus who said, I will build my church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? It's Matthew 6, 18. Jesus says that the gates of hell can't stop his Christian community. What do we have to be afraid of? God's people are not the ones, I mean, God's people are the ones 
who should be on offense, not defense. You know, contrary to many images of the church as kind of this fortress, uh, as a defensive place, you know, suffering the terrible, you know, onslaughts of the secular culture. The movement that Jesus set in motion is designed to be advancing, untamable, a revolutionary force created to transform the world. And make no mistake, there is in Jesus' words here a real sense of inevitability about the eventual triumph of the gospel. If we are not somehow part of this, then there is something wrong in the way we think about church, and that must change. If we're going to be Jesus' people, if we're going to make a difference to our world, then we have to start thinking differently about what it means to be the church. Most people kind of think of the church like a spiritual grocery store. You come to the grocery store expecting to see interesting products attractively displayed for low cost. You come looking for bargains. You browse the aisles, pick and choose from a menu of options and programs, a little children's ministry, something for the teens, maybe some uplifting music, maybe pick up a free sample from the Bible study aisle. You see a few people you know who are doing the same thing, so you nod, exchange pleasantlies, but when your cart is full, you check out. Until next week when you need to restock your spiritual pantry. That kind of church consumerism isn't going to do anything for Christ in the real world. Instead, we need to think of the church not as a grocery store, but as a, as a farm, as a community garden where you have to grow your own food. You are personally invested in the process of the garden, in the success of the garden. You've got to plant. You've got to water it. You've got to weed it. Because it's a community garden, you do your planting and your watering and your weeding together. You help each other. You get your hands in the dirt together. You share tools and techniques. You watch out for insects and animals that will eat your produce. You sweat. You get blisters. You spend time together talking while you work. Everything's organic. Everything's natural. It's fresh. You share the experience of gardening. The frustrations and setbacks, you go through them together. And together you also share in the joy of the harvest. And guess what? There's, there's more than enough for everybody. Even, though, even enough to give away to those in need. You garden with an open hand to help others. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is how people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I think people really want that kind of community, a community where they're loved and are able to love others in Christ's name, where they find shared values and shared support, where they're encouraged and given hope, where they can make a meaningful contribution of their labor and give their very lives. You can't get that in a spiritual grocery store. You only get packaged goods. But this kind of community doesn't come easy. It requires some very tough things. It requires authenticity. The real you relating to others with honesty and integrity, a willingness to get beyond surface smiles and coffee break conversations to reveal who you really are on the inside. It requires vulnerability. Getting close enough to people to kind of show the dirt under your own nails and the willingness to see the dirt in somebody else's life. That kind of vulnerability can only exist in an atmosphere of acceptance and grace. It requires accountability. This is what people resist the most. They want all the benefits of church community, but without accountability. But it doesn't work that way. Accountability means I don't live just for myself. I live under the authority of God's word, and I give others who know me well permission to hold me accountable 
in my personal behavior. The church needs that accountability. And it requires time. True community is not something that can happen in a couple hours on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You know, many corporations have recognized the deep need for community that exists in their customers, and they've intentionally tried to create some sense of community for the people who buy their products. Harley-Davidson is especially known for doing this well. If you own a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, well, there's a bond with everyone else who rides a Harley, well, from biker gangs to weekend warriors. And lots of companies are going for that same sense of community, but the problem is that kind of community, it just doesn't go very deep. Let's say you're a dad with a wife and two small children. You're also a rabid New York Giants fan. Uh, You drank the Giants Kool-Aid. You've spent your children's college fund on season tickets and authentic jerseys. Your car is festooned with Giants stickers and banners. You tailgated every home game, and when the team scores, you high-five any Giants fan within reach, whether you, you know them or not. You're part of the Giants family. That's your community. But let's say it's the middle of the night. Your wife is ill, and she needs to go to the hospital, and you have to take her. But who's going to watch the kids? Who will you trust to care for your children? Will your first instinct to be to call up the Giants front office and say, hey, I'm part of the Giants family. I have an emergency. Can you send someone over to watch my kids? Well, no, because you know they're just going to hang up on you. It's not a real community. But you can call your deacon. You can call someone in your Bible study. And I guarantee you that someone will be there for you. True Christian community matters. Let's pray. Lord, you have such a vision for your body, your church, your followers, that we would be this group of people knitted together, loving each other, but not with an exclusive kind of love, an open love that faces outward towards the world and welcomes those who are hurting. Help us, Lord, with our availability, our, our authenticity, our willingness to be vulnerable, and our willingness to be accountable, Lord, and our willingness to invest the time that it takes to build relationships within your body, Lord. Help us to really see how important this is for our total well-being as believers and as people, to be linked together in true Christian community. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.